I've got several passages that I want to share with you today. The first one, I believe, is uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. And what I want to talk to you today is, is about being the children of God. Um, in verse 12 of John chapter 1, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. If you've received him, you have the right to become children of God. To become. I, I really want us to hear that today. I, I, I don't want us to miss the wording there. You have the right to become children of God. That means just believing in Jesus is not the same thing as becoming a child of God. So we, we go on and I want to read some more. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. I believe this adds on to what we just read and helps to further clarify it. It says in Romans 8 and 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. All right. So we, we read first that when we receive Him, we have the right to become children of God. And then in 8 and 14 of Romans, it says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So there is a difference in those two statements that we want to really hone in on for just a moment. First, we, we say we believe in Jesus. And, and y'all, y'all have heard me preach before that, that we've got to be careful with what we tell people about salvation. We, we hear people pray things or say things about asking Jesus into their heart, but we know that the Word says very plainly that you must believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that is how you are saved. So let's be careful with the wording we tell people. Asking Jesus into your heart is not in that. And so we, we see here in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, that if you receive Him, and you believe in Him, you have the right to become children of God, but in Romans 8 and 14, it says those that are led by the Spirit of God, meaning that we follow after the Spirit of God. That, that sounds real close to making Him Lord of your life and allowing Him to guide and direct you, doesn't it? Those are the sons of God. 
You can say you believe in Jesus all day long. That don't make you His child. You can say you believe in Jesus. That doesn't make you saved. There's something that has to happen in order for, for that to really take, take root in your life and it's submission to His authority. Truly making Him Lord. Allowing Him to lead and guide and direct your life. It says in verse 16 that the Spirit, and it's capitalized in my Bible, it's, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the one that is, is just as much God as Jesus and the Father are. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it goes on to explain that relationship a little more there. It's important to know how we positionally are related to God. When we're saved, when we truly are led by the Spirit and we are children of God, it says there that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. How many times First, let's go back and see in verse 15. It says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again. I want, I want us to understand this today, y'all. Y'all please just bear with me today because I, I, I know there's a lot of things we're going to go through, but we're going to get to the, the end here in just a little while where this all ties together. How many times have you... Maybe you've thought yourself or you've heard other people talk about the Christian life and the Christian walk. And there is this ideal that somehow you can't live how you want to live if you're a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian because I can't do what I want to do. And that sounds like bondage, doesn't it? It, it, it sounds like if I'm going to go be a Christian, that now I am restricted. That I can't just be who I want to be. I have to be conformed to a certain thing and that's it. That sounds like bondage. That sounds like prison. It sounds like I can't be free. I have to only be a certain thing. And, and this passage that we just read really speaks to that. It, it speaks to a liberty that we have in Christ. It says in verse 15, if you want to think about it like this, before you ever come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are in bondage. Some of us, we, we don't look at it like that. The world doesn't look at it like that. They look at it like, well, I'm just living my life. That's the bad side over there. I, I have to be a certain way. I have to live a certain way if I'm going to be a Christian. Over here, I can live however I want to. But if we look at things through the lens of, 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 of the freedom that we have in Christ, you, we, we find out real quickly that before we were saved, we were in bondage. Before we knew who Jesus was, we were living in sin and in bondage to that sin. And in effect, we really didn't have a choice but to live in sin. 
And in verse 15 there it says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again. You were in bondage before. When you're saved, you don't receive another form of bondage. You're, you're now free. And man, that, that, that doesn't seem right if we think about things from the natural realm. We, we look at it and say, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this. Here's how I think about it. I was telling my kids the other day about having a budget. How many of y'all hear the word budget and think, ugh. But anybody that knows anything about money knows a budget is not a confining thing. A budget tells you where your money is. There's freedom in a budget. You, you take care of the things you got to take care of and then you know what you got left. Whereas if you don't have a budget, you look up at the end of the month and you have no idea where your money has went. You just know you don't have it no more. That's bondage. Freedom is in knowing where it is and where you're going to put it, and you now have control over where it goes. And if we think of our Christian walk like a budget, and we have that mindset that says, man, I, I don't want that. I don't want you telling me what I have to do. That's the lie of the enemy right there. He wants to deceive you and make you believe that, that any sort of conformance to anything is bondage. But over here you can live how you want to and that's freedom. No, that's not. Because you look up and you say, where did my life go? I don't even know. All of a sudden I'm trapped into something I didn't want to be in. All of a sudden I look up and, and I owe everything to everybody except where I want it to be. But he says, I didn't give you a spirit of bondage again. No, when I save you, you receive a spirit of adoption. And you cry out, Abba, Father. You see, we're not, we're not brought back into another form of slavery where we have a taskmaster that, that dictates everything in our life and, and he's, he's lording over us and forcing us into situations we don't want to be in and He's not rewarding anything we do. We don't have that sort of life anymore. We are made children of God. We're made heirs. We have an inheritance. We have a place at His table. There is a big difference in being a slave and being a child. There's a big difference in being owned and being a part of. But sometimes we look at that Christian life like it's a form of bondage. Like any good parent will do our father nurtures us he provides for us and yes he he will discipline us as well a good parent doesn't discipline their children out of anger and hatred they they discipline their child because they love them and they want the best for them and our god will use those forms of discipline and chastisement to correct us and send us on the right path. The Word says He chastises the ones that He loves. Psalms chapter 107, verse 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, 
for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. We've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. What does redeemed mean? Well, the first thing I hear or I think of when I hear the word redeemed, I think of my Redeemer, Jesus. The next thing I think of is what is commonly referred to in the Bible as the kinsman redeemer. I think of Boaz and Ruth and how Boaz was a wealthy man. Ruth was not his wife. Ruth lived in another country, but they were related. Ruth needed help. Ruth came to that country, came to the land of her nearest kinsman, Boaz. And Boaz, and I'm going to shorten the story up, but Boaz redeemed Ruth, redeemed her. He made her, made her his wife and, and gave her his inheritance. She came from nothing to something. And that's a beautiful picture if you go back and read that story of, of what Jesus did for us and how He redeemed us by His blood. He paid our debt. He not only paid our debt, but He restored us and gave us a place in His family, in His inheritance. It was one thing to, to pay our debt, but it's something different when you say, okay... Now you're part of the family. There's a big difference there. It's, it's great to know when you've been set it free and when a debt has been paid, but when it's more than that, when he longs for a relationship with you and wants you to be his, he calls you his own. Do you know that? Man, that's something special there. He purchased us back. What does that mean? You see, redeemed is to purchase back. It means we, at one time, belonged to Him. Y'all know the story of Adam and Eve, how they fell. Someone else took ownership. Someone else took control of man. And Jesus bought us back and restored us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Now listen to this. This is part of what it means to be a child of God. You see, right up to this point, all we've really talked about is how good it is for us. I want you to hear about the rest. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine 
as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Because of the work of the Lord in our lives, we should look different. Y'all have heard me say it before. You heard three different testimonies this morning of, of how the body of Christ can minister. You also heard Brother Gerald give testimony of how they didn't and the impact that that has. We, church, are to be children of God. We need to understand what that looks like to be a child of God. I have three kids that I am not ashamed of. If anybody ever says, hey, is that your daughter? Is that your son? I'm going to say, yes, it is. You know why I can do that? Because they live a life that causes me to not be ashamed of them. I don't have to worry about somebody coming to me and saying, you know, I saw, I saw your daughter the other day and you wouldn't believe what I heard come out of their mouth. I saw your son the other day and you wouldn't believe what I saw in his hand. I don't have to worry about that, church. I hope you don't. I, I hope you have, have had the kind of relationship with your child that you can say the same thing. I am not ashamed to call them my child because I know how they live. I'm not trying to tell you my kids are perfect today. I know they have faults. I do too. But look at what this word tells us today. It says that we are to become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know what that tells me? I am supposed to be in the midst of the world here today. I'm supposed to be in the world. I am not supposed to look like them. I'm not supposed to act like them. I'm supposed to be something different. Why? You say, well, that makes you look weird. Yeah, I, I need to look weird because normal is not a good thing in this world, church. If we continue being normal like the rest of this world, where are they going to be? Right in the same boat they're currently in. We've got to look different. We've got to be the children of God. We've got to be the kind of people that when somebody thinks about us, looks at us, talks about us, they say, there's something different. I want to be the image of Christ to people. I'm not always. Man, there's a lot of times I mess up. But I should be constantly being refined, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We need to become blameless, harmless, without fault. We should shine as lights in the world, it says. And in verse 16, it says, holding fast the word of life. Uh, in the old King James Version, it says, holding forth the word of life. It refers to keeping the principles of it but also speaking it and putting it out there. 
the word of life. Church, this world needs life. They need the word of life. In First John, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, I always want to flip them. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that, that He was the light to men. He. So when we say the hold fast or hold forth the Word of life, what do you think it's talking about? That church... The children of God ought to be quick to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have got to share the good news of our Savior to this world. And if that don't get you excited, there is some heart problems you need to address in your life. There, there must be a love for Him and His Word in you. If there's not, you need to spend time with Him. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not telling you you're not saved. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you you need to work it out. It says up there, we read it earlier, that you should work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What I am telling you today is that if you are saved, if you think you're saved, if you believe yourself to be a child of God, then there ought to be a hunger. There ought to be a thirst. There ought to be something in you that says, I want more Jesus. I need more of Him in my life. If there's not, I'm telling you, there's a heart problem. You need to spend more time with Him. You need to spend more time in prayer. There needs to be some purification that happens. It may be that you got too much of the wrong and not enough of the good. Church, I ain't telling you this stuff today to beat you up. I'm telling you that we are called to be something better than we are. We're called to be something better than what this world has to offer. We're called to be a light to this world because they need the life that we have in our possession. We hold something so dear and we hide it away in earthen vessels. We hide it away. Hannah has a safe in her room somewhere. She won't tell us where it is. And that girl knows how to save money. I don't know where, where she learned it. I didn't do that great of a job even teaching it, but she picked it up, man. And she will save money. She keeps it hid. Don't you go in there looking for her money. You ain't going to find it. And she has it in a safe with a combination, and it wouldn't do no good to find it. She keeps it hid away. Y'all, uh, there's an abundance. We don't have to hide away the Word of God. We don't have to hide away the love of Jesus Christ like we're going to somehow burn through all of it and it won't have no more. We don't need a savings program when it comes to Jesus. We need to just spend it like it's going out of style. We need to just get every bit of it we got, give it away. There's more to come. Whatever you had today, you better use it today. I remember this movie, y'all, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrap up. Just bear with me for a minute. Let me be a little nostalgic today. Y'all remember a movie called Brewster's Millions? 
Anybody? Few, yeah. Richard Pryor, that's it. So this man has this inheritance that he finds out about, and there's a stipulation in the inheritance. You got $30 million. You can take it right now and leave, and never, we'll never even talk about this again. Or you can go this other approach. I believe it was $30 million now or $300 million if you complete this thing. So here's the rules. You've got 30 days to spend $30 million, and you, can't, you have to come back with nothing to show for it. No assets. You can't just go buy a bunch of stuff, and then you got all this stuff and say, I spent it. No, you've got to come back broke. You got a 30 days to spend 30 million dollars. And if you can do that, then you get 300. Well, that just sounds like a good time, doesn't it? It's a lot easier to spend 30 million dollars today in 30 days than it was then, but y'all, it'd still be tough to not have anything to show for it. I tell you all that because that is the kind of mindset the children of God should have. When it comes to telling people and sharing with people about the love of Christ, spend it like it's going out of style, like you're on a mission. I've got 30 days to spend everything I got to get the inheritance. I know that's not necessarily biblical, okay? But y'all, I'm just telling you about a mindset that ought to shift within us because I am a child of God, I am an heir. Come on, <laughs> right? Let, let's, let's quit being defeated and, and wore out and beat down by this life and let's start living like we are who we say we are. If I believe I am a child of God, then I ought to live like I am. I've got an inheritance waiting on me that far surpasses all of the wealth of this world for, from beginning to end of time. I've got an inheritance waiting on me that I cannot even begin to fathom what it's going to look like. And all I want is to stand before my Lord and see Him face to face and take anything they're going to give me and throw it at His feet. That's all I want. I don't care for nothing else. That's all I want. Now, y'all, if you can start living that way, I'm pointing my fingers at myself today too. We've got to live with that mindset that does not hang on to this life because there ain't nothing good in it. There ain't nothing good here. But we've been given something good to share. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Another place he says, Go into all the world and make disciples. Now that's, that's a, a pretty big charge, right? Are we doing that? Are we showing people His love? Look, it don't say go beat up on people. It don't say go and criticize them for how they live. I guarantee you, most people, most people know. They don't need you to tell them. I'm not saying we don't ever call out sin for what it is. I'm saying they know. 
But you know what they don't know? Like Brother Gerald shared this morning, what they don't know is the love of Jesus Christ. What they don't know is that where they think they're in freedom right now, they're really in bondage. That's the lie of the devil right there. That's the greatest deception ever pulled off on men, is to believe that living however you want to live is somehow freedom. The greatest deception ever pulled off is for you to say, I don't want to go conform to some, some uh, uh, frou-frou Christianity and, and, and you know, put up... A, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. That, that's the biggest thing he ever pulled off was to trick you into believing that the best thing ever is the worst thing ever. And you know how it was done? By the children of God sitting idly by and not sharing, not talking about Him and His goodness. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is good and His mercy endures forever. Are we telling this world that? Are we telling them about what He has done in our life? Are we telling them about how He saved me from being just a complete wretch? Are we telling them about how He is healed, how He is delivered, how He is set free? Are we sharing it with this world that is lost and going to hell? Well, that is what being a child of God is all about. You see, I've been given more than I ever repay. And it ain't stopped yet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, most of all, we thank you for salvation and redemption. Help us today, Lord, to remember the joy of our salvation. To remember how far you have brought us. And how good it is to be your child. Lord, I pray for each person sitting here today, God. Lord, if they don't know you, if there's somebody sitting here today that does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that, that today that they'd find him. Lord, I, I bind the hand of the enemy right now because even as I speak, he wants to come and speak to that person too and remind them of the lies. Lord, the children of Israel were freed from Egypt, from the bondage there. They got out in the wilderness and began to believe the lie. And they said, I'd rather just go back to Egypt. They were free. They were going toward the promised land. And Lord, we find ourselves today wandering some in the wilderness, feeling like we're, we, we might as well just go back and live in how we used to live. But Lord, I know your land is right ahead of us. Lord, you know each person's heart today. You know those that know you and those that don't. So, Father, those that don't know you, I just pray right now that, that there'd be some angels that would come and surround them and give them a, a reprieve from the attack of the enemy. That there'd be a moment of openness where, where the Holy Spirit can begin to move and minister to them right now. Lord, I pray right now that you would, 
you would touch that heart and, and just and call them, Lord, draw them to yourself like only you can do. Lord, those that are here today that do know you, that, Lord, you know what, what condition they're in, whether they're, they're living on fire for you, Lord, or if that fire is almost snuffed out. You know. I don't, I don't pretend to know. Father, I just pray right now that you would just, no matter what shape they're in, that you would pour new life into them. Lord, that there'd be revival in their spirit. That there'd be a fire that's lit that they can't contain. Lord, put something in them that they must pour out. Like Jeremiah said, your word is like fire shut up in my bones. I cannot contain it. So, Father, I pray right now that there would be a new fire start today. That there would be something ignite in each of the children of God here. That they would have to proclaim your goodness in this earth, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray for revival in our hearts today. Father, I just love you and I praise you right now in Jesus' name. Father, we just come before you humbly right now, Lord. Church, I ask that you just pray with me today. Father, we, we come before you humbly calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you know the hearts of every person here today. You know there's those that are broken, those that are, are desperate for a move in their life. God, you know those that have, have spent parts of their lives just uh, living however, just, you know, day to day. God, I just pray right now that you would, you would move in this place. Stir us up, Lord. Stir us up, Lord. Let us not be complacent. Let us not be comfortable. Let us not be just want everything to stay right way it is and not change. Give us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, Lord. Your word says those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Lord, we love you and we praise you this morning. 